This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. Break it down. Oh, you didn't know? Stand back. I'm a Masita. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Eat me. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 81, and we're going to look at some themes from the Ruthless Aggression era of WWE, but more specifically, the themes of some WWE divas. And to help me do that is a returning guest here on the show, former writer for Voices of Wrestling, Sean Flynn. Hello again, Sean. Hey, Andrew. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's good to have you back on the show here, of course, um, uh, especially to do something that doesn't require us to leave the house because, uh, oh, man. oh boy, have there been some recent developments in the world that have certainly turned things upside down. Um, I mean, I, I, I have never seen anything like this before in my life. And, and I remember bird flu, swine flu, Ebola, all that stuff. But we're talking just so many canceled shows and events, um, entire sports leagues put on hiatus, restricted travel and gatherings. I mean, this is some wild stuff here, Sean. I actually caught the swine flu back when that whole thingamajig happened, and it was really nice to get a week's vacation and all, but I'm thinking that I may have overreached by by hoping that I could get my hands on some of this coronavirus. So I'm sorry, world. I didn't mean to cause the end times, but these things happen. Well, the good news is that as of this recording, WrestleMania is still a go. So if you want to go down there and, and watch Goldberg versus Roman Reigns, you know, shake a few hands, maybe you can board a plane right now and do it. So, you know, I would, but the thought of being around a whole bunch of Bray Wyatt fans, it's a fate worse than death <laughs> or a fate worse than living through this. Either way, <laughs> just sounds terrible. Right, right. I mean, just the whole wrestling aspect of it all, you know, seeing all these shows get postponed and canceled. We're not used to this, and it, it really just sucks for everybody for everybody involved. You know, the fans, the wrestlers, the promoters, um, all the event staff, the venues. It, it's a really shitty thing to happen. I mean, I, I have a ticket to Dynamite in Boston, and that will likely not happen now. Um, of course, you know, the safety of the public and, and my own family members and myself as well, that is something that I do think about, and it is important that that take precedence. But the selfish wrestling fan in me is not happy about losing all these shows. Um, but, you know, again, it's just one of those things that you can't help. You know, it's out of your control. No, it's it really is. You, you said it's unlike anything you've ever seen. And that's exactly it. I, I'm a big uh, sumo fan and I've been watching the March tournament that's been going on in Osaka. And they have had to go without any any crowd. And it's surreal, and I, I truly mean that word when I say it. It is almost it is surreal to see, and to have the the place be so quiet that you can hear their knees popping as they crouch down, or the sound of broom sweeping clay, and it sounds like it's happening in your living room. It's it's an 
it's an eerie feeling and I don't like it. And I really hope that we can get back to some sense of normalcy sooner rather than later. But I'm glad to see people taking precautions. I'm glad to see sports leagues, even though I know, and I'm, I'm a huge baseball fan. I was very excited for the opening of the season. And they're saying now that in Chicago, there won't be any games with fans in the stands until at least May 1st, no matter what the sport. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a while before we can get back to normal, but this just gives us all a chance to finally catch up on all the wrestling that we've, we've (laughs) had to put aside for the last couple of years due to all the content. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you know, to be serious, I'm just glad that, you know, certified health experts like Austin Aries and, and Bully <laughs> Ray and, and Brian Pillman Jr., they're getting their opinions out there on this whole issue because that's who I want to hear from in times like these. The guy who said, what's up all those times? You no, know, he's the real expert here. <laughs> well, really, what wouldn't you trust Bully Ray on? <laughs> I I mean, that's that's why I wear that uh, WW, uh BRD bracelet at all times because he's he's always got it he, he's figured out everything you, you know what's bad when even other wrestlers are calling out some of these some of them as saying you're you're an idiot <laughs> because that's that's usually a pretty tight brotherhood where they're not gonna they're not gonna say anything bad about each other but i actually saw people saying to brian pillman jr you you, you you're smarter than this <laughs> Well, in any event, uh, let's put all that to the side for now and uh, get to the topic of the day here. And uh, that is a look at a selection of themes for some WWE divas during the Ruthless Aggression era. And there are a few reasons why I want to do this episode. Uh, Number one, it is International Women's Month, and I wanted to do an episode that, you know, highlighted that, like I did last year with the Joshi episode. And number two, you know, there seems to be a little uptick lately in Ruthless Aggression Nostalgia, uh, given that documentary series that WWE is putting out right now about the era, which in no way is biased or retelling history at all, Sean. It, it is 100% true. I, Vince McMahon is basically the gold standard for history. <laughs> but it's good to see because we've you can only rehash the Monday Night Wars and the Attitude Era so many times in a row. It's time to finally, it's good to see this next generation of people since, I mean, this, that's the generation that is really still pushing things in a lot of ways. So, I mean, it's good to see them finally getting the historical treatment rather than just, so there was the Attitude Era and then, uh, then Nitro ended and then nothing happened and uh, now it's today. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's my era. I mean, it's well known by now that, you know, I first started watching wrestling in the summer of 03, and that's when that era was, you know, well up and running uh, with the black and white SmackDown intro, you know, it's been a long time, and rapping John Cena and the Triple H Reign of Terror and all that other stuff. That That's the era that made me a wrestling fan. And yeah, it is annoying to see so much historical spin from WWE about you know, objective events that happened, like why they changed their name and whatever. But regardless, it is nice to see them at least talk about it as, as opposed to rehashing, yeah, the Monday Night Wars and the Attitude Era. Oh my god, DX are invading WCW in a tank, and oh my goodness. <laughs> but but yeah, it is nice to see them acknowledging ruthless aggression in, in some way. Did, did you know that once Steve Austin drove a beer truck to the ring? You know, I, I don't think I've ever heard of that, no. If, if you check out the award-winning WWE Network, you might be able to learn more on that. Was there something with like a milk truck and Kurt Angle? I'm not really sure about that. I think there was, but I'm not sure. I, I have no memory of any of this. 
Yeah, if someone could help us out with that and set the record straight, that that'd be a big help. <laughs> but no, seriously, like it, it's also you make it does make sense because, and we'll get into this more with some of the some of the people involved in their themes. But this is really where you get those first seeds of what ends up being the quote divas revolution, and the first attempts to at least give some seriousness to the women's division through some of the competitors, even though there were a lot of rocky rocky roads to go down for the next 10, 15 years. But at least you begin to see the birth of something more than just the sable and the cat bikini contest sort of, sort of matches. Yeah, the whole Divas era thing that lasted for, like you said, years and years – um, I mean, WWE fans nowadays, they're they are pretty spoiled, I think, with how good that division is now and as well how it's presented because there was a long time where we didn't have all of these amazing women's wrestlers in WWE. We had some, don't get me wrong, but still, if you look back at Ruthless Aggression and the Attitude Era as well, of course, so much of the focus of WWE's women's division wasn't about the wrestling. It was mainly about sex appeal and titillation and, and catfights and women be crazy and, and Jerry Lawler <laughs> shouting puppies and all that stuff. And, and today there is definitely still that focus on looks and beauty because wrestling is a cosmetic business exactly. is what it is. But if you look at the women's division nowadays, there is so much more of a greater emphasis on in-ring action and feuds based around wrestling and not, you know, who gets to be on the cover of Playboy, you know? So there is still stuff that pops up from time to time, like, the whole, you know, Lana, Liv Morgan, Rusev, Lashley thing. But overall, there's been a lot of improvements in how the women are presented, um, especially in like NXT. Yeah, NXT was definitely the catalyst for that. But And now it's really just like with, with any wrestling in general, especially with WWE, you have those things that are taken seriously. And then you have the soap opera, trash TV side of it. And I feel like at least now you're seeing women represented in both of those rather than before where it was always just the trashy soap opera-esque angles. Now, now they're on both sides. There's the serious athletes and there's the wedding angles. So that's about as fair and as equitable and good a treatment as anyone's going to get in American pro wrestling run by Vince McMahon. So we'll call that one a small win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we've definitely come a long way. You know, I, I can just, I can reach into my memory bank and, and pull out so many relics of the past, like Braun and Penny's matches and fulfill your fantasy matches. Um, Santa's little helper matches, the diva search, you know, that whole <laughs> shindig diva dodgeball, um, all like the bikini photo shoots and DVDs stuff that, you know, in the world of wrestling feels like it was forever ago. So it is, interesting to look back and, and see how far WWE has come and really how far mainstream American wrestling has come in terms of women's wrestling because Lord knows when they were still around WCW and ECW were not exactly known for being you know beacons of women's wrestling either um, you had like TNA with the knockouts division and Gail Kim and Awesome Kong and so forth but before that they used to have women dancing in cages in the asylum um, really look at the time period mid-2000s or whatever, I'd wager the best place to find good, non-objectifying women's wrestling in America was Shimmer. And Sean, you can probably attest to that since you've been to many a Shimmer show yourself. Absolutely. I started going all the way back 
around the era that we were talking about in this in this podcast, the mid two thousands, and I mean, you can see in the fact that that promotion's essentially been a a treadmill running straight to uh straight to the performance center over the last decade that there was such talent out there that wasn't getting used that has slowly found their way in to the point where you go back and you look at some of their cards there's 20 25 people who show up on on a single volume that are now or have at some point worked for for WWE or TNA or both and it's it's staggering sometimes and it's kind of sad because the indie scene has gotten depleted as WWE hoards talent now, but that's a, that's an argument for another day. But yeah, during this time, during the same time where the Miller light cat fight girls are appearing on WrestleMania, <laughs> you're getting these really top flight matches out on the indie scene out in places like shimmer and so sort of the chick fight tournaments out West uh, and uh, some of the Eastern promotions that were actually highlighting these talents, but it was, it was still just a glimmer in Vince's eye that at some point he'd be having three women main event his WrestleMania show. Yeah. And like I said, the talent was there in WWE for a while. You know, you had people like Trish, Lita, Molly Holly, Jazz, Ivory, Gail Kim. Um, later on, Mickey James came in. Beth Phoenix came in, most of whom will be featured here in this episode. Uh, so the talent was there. It was just buried under a mountain of, you know, mud matches and bathing suits. So we really have come a long way there, Sean. We have. And I thank us for that. <laughs> so let's get to these themes here. Uh, we have eight to talk about. Uh, most of them are, of course, by Jim Johnston. Uh, and we're going to start off here with the woman who is considered to be, I guess, the preeminent women's wrestler of the Ruthless Aggression era. Certainly one of the most popular and successful women's wrestlers that WWE has ever had. And that's Trish Stratus. And Trish's theme is by Jim Johnston featuring Lil' Kim off of WWE Anthology Now. This is Time to Rock and Roll. I think a good song to start off with here for a few different reasons. Uh, one, it's Trish, and she's a, a pretty big name to start off with, of course. Uh, but also, I think the song represents this duality that WWE really tried to present with the divas, and still do in some respects. And that is the duality of the strong-spirited woman, don't mess with her, she's empowering, she runs the place, but also she's sexy, she's sensual, she's playful, isn't she hot, guys? 
And that is very evident in this song here, where you've got the lyrics where it's like, I'm the queen, I've got the keys to the city, I own the streets, I've put you in your place, etc. But at the same time, this music is this R&B hip-hop groove that feels very sensual, as does the way that Lil' Kim sings it at times. And even in the beginning, you've got Trish doing that that giggle, you know, that, that laugh, <laughs> uh, which is very playful and very coquettish. So it's trying to play both sides of that coin there, Sean. It's interesting to me that I've never really listened beyond the first few words because all I ever listened to it as was her entrance theme. So you'd hear the laugh, the giggle, the, the first uh, I'm in control. Oh, and after that, it would just be drowned out by announcers, crowd noise, everything else. So seeing it, this song, some of the word choice, some of the choices in there, it's so funny to imagine back with a uh, cowboy hat and uh, duster Trish. Uh, I'll slaughter you, son. It's over. The story is done. Like, that's... Uh, sure. Okay. But no, the, that dichotomy, and I, there, there's definitely a few more where I think it's even more striking. With Trish, it works because she was always presented, especially since the beginning. I mean, first she was presented as just sort of eye candy. And even as she became serious, her attractiveness and was always front and center whether she was uh whether she was being the pretty perky face or later on sort of the evil woman heel using her her wiles to get her way but it's strange to have such wordy theme music and that's something that again it also hits me a couple more times as we go through these because it's so much of it gets lost that it almost feels like why what's the point in this although i guess at that i guess since that's the case you can get in you can get away with things like saying with trish stratus and slaughtering people and it it seems to it no one's really going to notice she is the creme de la creme though and that's that's pretty much how she's been presented for the last 20 years so i i, I can i can appreciate that it's also that weird time where WWE was trying desperately to be more rap and R&B friendly and there, there, there are artifacts of an era that musically might not be the worst things to just kind of forget ever happened <laughs> <laughs> because it's not their forte and they tried. I mean, they, little Kim is little Kim and I'm not, the resident rap expert for this site. So I can't really add too much to that, but I mean, she's got credibility. It's not like they just found someone off the street, but it still just sounds so weird. Once it starts actually getting into a normal rap flow rather than the, the very beginning. And at that point, the whole song just kind of usually gets swallowed up. Yeah. I think lyrically it at least does a good job of getting across Trish's career arc at that point, you know, say what you will about slaughtering people. But, <laughs> you know, if you remember like late 01 to 2002, that's when she started to really come together in the ring and move away from being just the eye candy, just a manager for like uh test and Albert or, or even more promiscuous, like, you know, Vince's girlfriend uh, to being, you know, a, a bonafide pro wrestler and a linchpin of the women's division who, actually has some agency, you know, and as such, the song references that change. It's time to rock and roll. This time, I'm in control. 
You know, it's my turn to burn, and now I'm here to rub it in your face. When will you learn? I'm the queen, and I'll put you in your place. See, I'm more than a lady. I'm more than a lover. More than enough for you. Please try understand me. I'm going to stay at the top because I don't give a damn. I mean, this is someone who was forced to bark like a dog in the ring by Vince that one time, you know, and, and, and powerbomb through a table by Bubba Ray Dudley. Now she's out of that world. You know, she's not just a lady, not just a lover anymore. Now she's the queen of the division, you know, and, and now she runs the place, at least until she becomes Christian's girlfriend. But <laughs> that, that's another story there, Sean. Which which would lead to the best Trish Stratus song of all off of the uh, WWE original soundtrack. <laughs> Which uh, we played on this podcast a few episodes ago. I just want you. I enjoy when a song becomes sort of the evergreen theme for somebody and you have to go back and recontextualize the song to what it was when they came out. Because Trish has been sort of a beloved face for so long now. I mean, other than that sort of brief interlude where she turned heel with Christian. I mean, she's been pretty much cheered for the last over a decade and yet she still has this theme music that's very much a go screw you i'm in charge sort of motif to it i wonder i wonder if there's ever thought or if it's like i said earlier no one ever notices past the first couple of words anyways (laughs) when they're actually hearing it live probably the latter yeah (laughs) maybe they could get someone to 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 redo it with lyrics about how 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 she loves yoga and how how her and her how her kids enjoy play dates with other diva kids give it give it the uh give it the 2020 spin yeah whoa it's time to downward dog whoa (laughs) (laughs) this time i'm in the flow (laughs) whoa breathe in deep and hold five seconds then you exhale now You know, now that uh, CFOs is gone, they are kind of lacking in having an in-house musical musical guru. I think I think there's an opening here. Mm. You, you know, I do also want to bring up uh, the entrance video that Trish used to have back in the day, which had clips of, of Trish, you know, hitting her moves in the ring and, and doing their pointing taunt and all that stuff. But it also had plenty of clips of Trish modeling in bikinis and doing photo shoots and doing all these sexy poses, which was true for a lot of divas back in those days, to be fair. And, you know, flash forward to a few years ago at the Evolution pay-per-view, Trish comes out for a match, and the Titantron is literally just the name Trish Stratus and nothing else. And <laughs> I, I know that pretty much every Titantron video in WWE nowadays is just like a person's name and their logo, because they've gotten pretty lazy with that stuff in recent times. But just, you know, as someone who remembers the old Trish video... I just found it to be so amusing to think about that. You know, women's evolution, we're so empowering, we're celebrating all these women on the show. Hey boss, I got that Trish video for you. Ah, you know what? Maybe hold off on that one. <laughs> you know, maybe hold off on the bikini shots, I think. <laughs> Some poor intern going through going, oh, can't use that shot. Oh, can't <laughs> use that. Oh, can't use that. Oh, definitely can't use that. <laughs> well, the good news is that we've got six seconds of usable Titantron. <laughs> The bad news is that we've lost a whole lot of waterfall footage <laughs> because Trish in the early 2000s couldn't get within a thousand yards of a waterfall without taking her, without getting into a bikini. <laughs> like even just like one of those, like ones you'd have on your lawn, you'd go outside and be like, Trish is in the water. Just Trish is in the water feature again. Why is there a cameraman? You go out with like a rolled up newspaper. Get out of here. Go on. Scram. Come on. <laughs> get out of here. Call maintenance. <laughs> 
Up next, we're going to talk about jazz. No, not the basketball team or the music genre. I'm talking about the wrestler Jazz, who is a former women's champion in her own right. Her theme song is called Smooth. Going down, down, down. Just calm and smooth. Oh wait, that's the that's the Marcus Corvan theme. Never mind, never mind. Different smooth. My bad, my bad. So uh, anyway, a couple key points here about this song. It's the theme for jazz. So in the most on the nose way possible, it's a jazz song, of course. It's got the saxophone in there. Uh, may not be a real saxophone, probably a keyboard sax, but that's okay. The other thing is, and I find this kind of funny. The song is called Smooth, uh, presumably as in Smooth Jazz, but this is not Smooth Jazz. Like, as far as I know, Smooth Jazz typically does not have crunchy Jim Johnston metal guitars in there, in the mix, you know. Like, that's typically not a feature of the genre. So, it's an interesting mix there, Sean. Well, I mean, it started as Smooth Jazz, and then the damn neighbor kids turned on their rock and roll music and <laughs> i'm just trying to sit here and listen to these to these lovely sax licks being played but there's a dun, 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 dun sort of happening and and I'm, I'm i'm gonna have to call the cops as soon as they get trish out of the water feature this it's so jarring for me like it couldn't have been a more jarring theme if they'd actually done the uh, Rob Thomas and Santana version of Smooth. <laughs> In fact, at least that would have been funny. This just, it's like, like you said, her name's Jazz, saxophone. And then I've got a guitar lick that I haven't used yet. I'm Jim Johnston. Combine, done. Let's go home. What the f ever loving shit? You've got someone who's an absolute killing machine and it's got this cheesy-ass sax lyric that should accompany a 3 a.m. ad for Night Flirt or something for the people who still use 1-900 numbers. Do you remember 1-900 numbers? I do, yeah. Um, I mean, I still see commercials late at night for, like, chat lines. So I wonder who still uses those. I mean, I don't actually want to meet them because I'm terrified of who that would be, but <laughs> I wonder who they are. And and I bring I, I mentioned that simply because it means that I don't have to think about the fact that one of the best wrestlers that they had on the roster had a theme that was entirely inspired simply by the fact that her name was Jazz and by the way she was black so let's get a saxophone for something jazz sounding. Well, if I can offer a counterpoint, um, number one, it's WWE. So there you go. You know, that's kind of a catch-all reason right there. Um, but but also, I mean, just looking at it from a logic standpoint, 
Jazz is not a smooth, delicate flower by any stretch. You know, she's a muscular, powerful force of nature who will kick anyone's ass. I mean, one of her finishers is called the Bitch Clamp, for God's sake. So this is a lady who means business. And yeah, there is the requisite jazz music in there, of course, with the sax. But you've also got this mean metal guitar in there, too, which gives that intensity and that mean streak and that edge. And the saxophone, too. I mean, this is not some playful, friendly saxophone. This is a bossy saxophone. You know, this saxophone has some attitude to it. So for jazz, this is par for the course there, Sean. I, I'm going to start a punk a punk ska band called Bossy Saxophone. <laughs> First, I just need to learn an instrument, but that, that shouldn't take long. And it, it, it's true. I mean, the guitar is definitely very aggressive, very much like her. But it's weird because when, when I think of jazz, I don't think of sort of a sax lick. Or do I think of like a hard, chunky guitar that's like really fast and aggressive because she was more of a just kind of I'm going to get to the ring and then I'll beat the irrelevant crap out of you. And I'm doing it on my own timetable. It was neither it was neither languorous nor was it hurried. But then, like you said, WWE. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like this is the most frantic song in the world either. You know, this is not some crazy high speed, like, uh, you know, Mars Volta type of song, you know, but <laughs> it's also not a very peaceful, slow song either. It's in that that middle range. But, uh, you know, I understand your displeasure with the song as well, I suppose. I guess my biggest issue, I think, I think why it irks me is because it's kind of symbolic of what the bigger issue was with that era at that time. The song, it's not terrible. It's not completely inappropriate but it just kind of feels lazy which was always the problem with the presentation at this time everything had just that everything involving the divas especially if it wasn't about trish or lita always felt just kind of slapdash like okay we know you're here we we're going to show you on tv but we're not going to devote a whole ton of thought to any of it it we're just going to put you out here and say look women isn't this great Aren't we aren't we revolutionary? And I think the song for jazz kind of speaks to that. It's there and it works in a way, but it's nothing memorable. It's nothing that seems particularly strongly tailored to the entirety of the character. And that's kind of where jazz was. Her entire character was angry, beat you up. They didn't give there was never time to give a whole lot of depth to 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 characters like her. So I'm 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 giving the song more baggage than it probably deserves in that regard. It's it's not Jim Johnson's fault that uh that WWE writers at the time had had issues. <laughs> well, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Sure, sure. Um by the way, uh did you go to All Out last year? I did. Okay, I asked that because uh Jazz was in that Casino Battle Royale thing on the pre-show and it was just so wild to see the way that she looks now. Because she's still built like a brick shithouse, but now she's bald, and she wears, like, this gladiator mask to the ring, too. So, visually, she looks even more like a badass than ever before. You know, I, I know in the ring it's probably a different story, but if I was running a company, and I had Jazz in her physical prime, but with her current look, I, I'd push her to the moon. I'd push her to the moon even now. She just, her look is still captivating that... I, I don't know how she's not on TV somewhere right now on a regular basis. 
it, it makes no sense to me. She still looks like a million bucks. She still looks like she can murder anyone that she wants that she's in the ring with. So so consider this the official Sign Jazz 2020 <laughs> call here. Moving on now to song number three, and it's for the former Mrs. Billy Kidman and the daughter of the late Al Wilson. Rest in peace, good sir. Of course, I'm talking about Tori Wilson, and Tori's theme is by Jim Johnston featuring Lillian Garcia on lead vocals. This is off of WWE Anthology Now. It's called Need a Little Time. know how I said that Trisha's theme showed the duality between the strong, empowering woman and the sexy, sensual woman? Well, that doesn't really hold true for this one, I don't think. Uh, Tori's theme is skewed quite heavily towards the romantic side of things. The vocals, the lyrics, even the music is this slowed down, kind of sultry song. No mention of wanting to be the best at something or crush the competition or whatever. It's just pure sexy love song, which, to be honest, given that the majority of Tori's career was being, you know, eye candy first and the wrestler second, that does kind of go along with how things played out, Sean. First, pour one out for Al Wilson. Always. It's it's another one where they definitely do the, instead of having it with the sax, it's Lillian Garcia with the very sort of sultry, very kind of breathy singing over the chunky dun-dun-dun-dun-dun sort of guitar work. It makes you wonder what what Jim Johnston really thought about love and sex and affection and all that because he's he, he's constantly working with duality in that. I, I think he might have liked to be hit. <laughs> but that that's just my guess. It, you're right. And it was this is definitely one where it's like when I went back and listened to most of these, it didn't take long for it to be like snap, snap, snap. Oh yeah, I remember this one. I remember this one. I remember this one. I literally had no memory of this whatsoever. This song, and I think it's because, like you said, it's very much just sort of a. It feels very generic, which kind of Tori was at points, but it's also just saying it's not really saying anything much about her it's it's a pretty love it's a love song for it and it's also but i mean it's a it's a very egotistical sort of love song at the same time what do you do when everybody wants you but yet at the same time it's directed to one person who i assume was probably don marie yeah it's it's an odd song reading the lyrics is 
odd for it. And I, I, I hate to use a word that's so nondescriptive, but I feel like that's the right one. To me, it really does come across as a song that would fit right in on WWE originals. You know, yeah. Most of the diva songs on that album pretty much boiled down to sex. Um, the one that didn't, funny enough, was the one that Lillian did. But yeah, this would fit right in on that album. I just need a little space to call my own. Just a corner of the world where I can be alone with you. What do you do when everybody wants you? How do you breathe when they take you in? Who do you turn to when you need to get away? I know only your love can get me there. I just need some satisfaction, just me. Some private interaction, just you. Some animal attraction, just you. Like, the song isn't even about Tori. It's about Tori and her partner. And how she needs him to get her through the day. You know, everybody wants me, but you're the only one who can satisfy me. So really, this is like less of a rustling theme and more of a generic pop song, Sean. What do you think came first, this song or the need for a Tori Wilson song? On the album, you mean? Like, for originals? Or? No, in terms of creation itself. What What do you think came first? The actual, like, song lyrics and... I mean, because obviously this song... I think it's safe to say this song was probably created in terms of its lyrics and sort of melody at a different point in time than the final layering where it took the the words and mashed into the guitars. Do you think that Lillian Garcia or whomever wrote the lyrics for this and originally came up with it, came up with it because they said, Hey, Tori Wilson needs a theme song. Or do you think that this song was sitting there and someone said, Hey, Tori Wilson needs a song. Let's throw this one on it. Well, the way that Jim Johnston works um, or used to work in WWE, I should say, was that, you know, usually he'd get the wrestler uh, and gimmick first and then build a song from there. So I, I bet that he got Tori first and then he wrote the song. But even so, I, I mean, Tori's gimmick was so generic that he probably could have written for a bunch of other divas, I think. I'd, I'd be curious to know who wrote the lyrics and who came up with the germ of it. I I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at the lyrics and I don't see anything in particular with songwriting credit or anything. But I mean, I, it was probably Jim Johnston because he's the main lyrics guy as well. I'm curious. I almost I, I wonder if Lillian Garcia wrote this and happened to have it handy when they needed something. Yeah, she may have had a hand in it, too. Um, I don't know for sure, of course. Yeah, just just interesting because so many of the tunes, even if they're poorly done, you could sort of see the through line of creation to the to the character whereas this one is one of those ones where i'm like i can't even begin to see how all these pieces came together with jazz it all makes sense i may not agree with it but it makes sense with trish it makes perfect sense like you said about the lyrics and the way she was at the time everything about that is built to fit this one character at that one point in time this is this is different to me because it really is one of the most generic themes that we're going to discuss here where i can't even begin to see how other than tori is woman here's woman singing song woman thing let's all go have a snack (laughs) that's different for them usually usually even if the thoughts aren't the best they all seem very well thought out well the trend of tori having a very quote-unquote hot woman song that would continue later on with another one of her themes called a girl like that which is literally just about some guy wanting to be with a hot girl he likes, which is the opposite of this one, I think, because here it's the woman who is the speaker who is lusting after someone, and a girl like that, it's the woman, Tori, who is lusted after and is the object of affection. So 
regardless of who the speaker is or which way the the lusting is going, there is a pattern there with Tori's themes there, uh, Sean. And and really, it, it seems to make sense because out of everyone that we're going to discuss, Tori was probably the most generic, identikit sort of character of the entire group of that time. So I suppose it works that she has a very generic, identikit sort of song. <laughs> because really, when you think about Tori, what do you think of other than the Al Wilson angle? It's like, otherwise, trying to remember a memorable Tori Wilson moment. I mean, that's something people can do while they while they spend their next few weeks in quarantine. Try to think of really memorable Tori Wilson moments. And if you get any, send them to Andrew. <laughs> Going to go now to our next wrestler, and it's someone we just saw a few months ago during the Women's Royal Rumble match. It's Molly Holly. Uh, Molly, of course, also known as Mighty Molly with the Hurricane and Ms. Madness in WCW back in the day. Her theme song is off the album WWE Uncaged 6. This is simply called Molly Holly. definitely the i guess plainest song we've had so far um standard rock riffs that are mixed in with like some weird little electronica as well not exactly the most standout song in the world uh, more like some dvd menu music or whatever and it really doesn't have any of the trademark sexiness or sultriness that we've had with prior songs uh, the tempo is relatively fast-paced in comparison the instrumentation is heavier there's no sexy vocals or lyrics, and this is for a good reason, because Molly Holly's character at the time was that she was a prude. You know, she didn't want to be sexy and revealing and coy like so many other divas were. She wanted to be more professional and concealing. So giving her a rather unsexy song works well for that, Sean. It does, yet at the same time, I think it also couldn't ignore the fact that no matter what she's doing, there's an essential bubbliness to Molly that I don't care what her role is, right? To sense her Molly, Mighty Molly, Miss Madness Molly. You just can't deny it. She, she's the kind of person who you see her on TV and you smile when you see her. She she, she makes people happy. I, I can't imagine that there's anyone out there who says, ugh, Molly Holly. If they are, send them to me and I'll have a talk with them. <laughs> but I, I found this one interesting because it's seriously all I could think of was it sounded like an early 2000s U2 demo that they never went forward with. The the, the sort of the synth bubbliness and the guitar, it, it all had that very 
early 2000s electrical storm kind of sound to it. It was a little jangly instead of that sort of crunchy guitar that we were hearing in some of the other ones. It seriously, yeah, it just sounded like a 2002 demo that The Edge was like, eh, never mind, I'm going to just put this one aside. And, and then Jim Johnston was raiding his trash and said, ha <laughs> Well, uh, first of all, a little fact check here for you. Um, right to censor was Ivory, not Molly. Oh, that's right. So I've got to correct you on that one. First yeah, all, but um, yeah. but I think just looking at the gimmick of Molly being the prude, you know, the the bummer of the party. I mean, even the title of the song is perfect because it's just called Molly Holly, and you can't get any plainer than just naming a song with the wrestler's name. You know, normally <laughs> I complain about that kind of thing, but I think in this case it's perfect, and it's the antithesis of just so many other you know diva wrestling theme titles. You know, time to rock and roll. Need a little time. You know, Sable had Wildcat and the Bellas had You Can Look But You Can't Touch. All very colorful titles in some way. But this is just no fun Molly Holly. You know, <laughs> even if it wasn't intentional, I think it's still perfect, Sean. It really does. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm old and I've drank a lot over the years. It's hard for me to remember the 2000s very well. <laughs> but But yeah, it's... It it is very generic, and I mean, it makes sense that it's it's not an original piece. I mean, it's apparently it's a remake of a song by Joseph Saba and Stuart Winter, neither of whom I've ever heard of. I don't know what the if I don't know. Do you know if that song was used in any place? If it was released in any way, or I believe it's a library song. Okay, um, yeah, it's called Reese's Pieces. Uh, Reese is spelled R-H-E-S-U-S, like the monkey. And uh, Molly used it as her theme for a little bit. And uh, then Jim Johnston remade it into this song here. Yeah, and I think that I think that kind of ex- might explain why it has a some, somewhat different sound and a sort of more generic sound. Like, like you said, it's it's there. It's Molly Holly. <laughs> they they weren't spending a whole lot of time working on that. But, but I mean, honestly, it was one of my favorites of the ones we're listening to because it was a little different sounding and it wasn't just the typical Jim Johnston. I'm going to do a staccato crunchy over and over and over and layer it with something else like sort of thing. So ironically, it's genericness kind of made it unique among some of the stuff that we're discussing here tonight. And as well, I'll give credit to Molly for her entrance too. Because, again, the typical diva entrance, come out, sexy pose, wave to the fans, hi boys, how you doing, you know, blowing (laughs) kisses, maybe a little dance or something like that. That's sort of, again, very colorful, outgoing thing. But Molly would just come out and do, you know, just this matter-of-fact walk straight to the ring, like like, like the neighborhood mom power walk. You know, no flair, no pizzazz, no hint of sexuality. She has the short mom haircut too, and the music you hear is, you know, it all just works so well together, Sean. I wish that there was a way to bring that Molly forward in time and have her team with Bailey right now as the angry moms. <laughs> Their finishing move would be speaking to the manager. <laughs> oh my god, they just did the Karen Plex. Oh my god. <laughs> That's gotta be it. <laughs> they just bought all the hand sanitizer. By God, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Molly is someone who, like you said, 
she's someone who I just look back on and definitely appreciate a lot more now than I did back then because I was a kid, you know, I was a horny teenager, so I didn't care <laughs> for Molly Holly all that much. But looking back, she's someone who absolutely deserves, you know, a lot more appreciation because she is, by all accounts, you know, one of the nicest people around and had to put up with some nasty stuff, I think, especially from, you know, Jerry Lawler on commentary at times. So uh, good for her for still being, you know, a very nice person despite all that stuff. Yeah, big, big, big props to Molly Holly. Uh, she's someone who, again, if she ever wanted to come back and do it on a more regular basis, I would, I would love to see her return. So moving on now to theme number five, and it's for Victoria, uh, a.k.a. Tara from TNA. Uh, Victoria had an extensive career in WWE dating back to 2000 when she was one of the Godfather's hoes as the, quote, head hoe. Attitude era, folks. Soak it all in. Soak it all in. And then, of course, during Ruthless Aggression, she re-debuted as Victoria uh, the Psycho Woman, who became Stevie Richards' girlfriend for a little bit. Uh, her theme song, which she started using after winning the women's title for the second time in 2004, is by Jim Johnston, featuring the Hood Stars and Nicki Minaj. Yes, that Nicki Minaj. It's off the album Thematic, WWE The Music Volume 6. This is Don't Mess With. I ain't the lady to mess with. Go, 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 Sean, my apologies to you. Um, I know you have a grievance. I know you were asking on the note sheet earlier, where is my tattoo song? And and listen, listen, I just want you to know that I had to make some choices here. Some very tough choices, okay? Much like with Gandalf and the Balrog, some sacrifices had to be made. So I apologize if I offended you, good sir. I'm a busy man. I have a lot of things going on. I'm, I'm, I'm an international traveler. I'm a... I'm, I'm a guru. I'm a genius. I I, I, I I don't have a ton of time. So part of the reason I agreed to do this was there are a handful of theme songs in WWE history that I've heard and over the years thought, you know what? I would love to talk to Andrew about this because this song is it's right in my heart. But you know what? He's already done an episode where they talked about Christian and just close your eyes. They've done, he did the WWE Originals album, which I would have got, which would have been like one of those epic, uh, uh, like eight hour between the sheets podcasts if I'd, if I'd been involved <laughs> in that. But the one that was still out there was Victoria using all the things she said by tattoo. And I was all set to talk about that being my one of my favorite themes ever and why it was such a perfect fit for the character at that time and then i get this 
we should have waited until December to do this episode because the airing of the grievances would have fit right in at Festivus time. <laughs> I I don't even I don't even have anything to say to this. Uh, actually, I do, but I'll let you start since you're the one who decided to uh, to make the Sophie's choice here. Well, in the words of Conan, let me speak on this, okay? Because because I I too enjoy. All the things she said by tattoo a lot. You know, I think it's a it's a good time had by all. But the reason why I picked this song is I think it's a good teaching lesson in the conformity of WWE because Tattoo Victoria was a sadistic psychopathic heel. You know, biting ears, getting into all sorts of scrapes. Her Titantron video, you know, had the eyeball and the hand graphic that was pretty creepy and and pretty unique. You know, in, in a world of happy, peppy, sexy women like Tori and Stacy or conniving, man-eating bombshells like Sable and whatnot, having this dark, quasi-gothic, but not really, um, you know, psychopathic character stood out, as did the song, which was this moody alt-rock song from a Russian band. But when Victoria turns face, she drops all that and becomes a happier, peppier character. You know, starts wearing the short shorts and doing like that, that gyrating moonsault. And she gets this theme song, which is like this really upbeat rap song, something more akin to a typical diva theme. So what I wanted to do here was impart the lesson that while we enjoy Tattoo and the song and and that era of Victoria, there was for so many of the divas back then this inevitable conformity with WWE and the way that they characterized their women. When I listened to this, and I'm very sad to say it, the first 15, 20 seconds or so, all I could think of was, my God, they remade Ninja Rap. <laughs> go, 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 go. I, I, I started pumping my fist. Go, Ninja. Go, Ninja. <laughs> Which is probably why my wife is nowhere to be found right now. But, <laughs> oh, well, we sacrifice things. It's funny that in this era, they had two significant rap stars and neither of the songs are at all memorable really beyond their use in wrestling i mean if i told you that oh yeah Nicki minaj is on a ww album you'd think that it would be something people would remember even though obviously this is very 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 early Nicki minaj but yeah you'd, you'd think that would be the kind of trivia that would be more noted but since they remade Ninja Rap, I guess I guess it really kind of lacked in that. That said, I have a question for you because you're you're a man who knows a lot about music, so you may you may know what they're referring to here. What is an anorexic pocket? You know, I, I had the exact same question myself, <laughs> and if I can make an educated guess here, I suppose an anorexic pocket is one that doesn't have anything in it. <sighs> um, it's empty, so. Another way of saying you're broke, I guess. Um, although that said, um, anorexia is a mental disorder where you don't eat on purpose, as opposed to being broke, which is like nobody wants to be that on purpose. So yeah, it, it, it's a very confusing phrase for sure. That's why it threw me. But anyway. But anyway, yeah. anyway, yeah. The ninja rap is a very apt comparison. Yeah. Uh, this does sound like some sort of party dance club rap song. Maybe you hear it in a movie during like a big dance battle scene or something like that. And there is such a stark contrast between the music and the tattoo song and, and this one, of course. Well, the same is true for the lyrics. 
uh, because Tattoo are singing about trying to come to terms with your sexuality and having feelings for someone of the same gender, you know, you know, pretty heavy stuff for a wrestling theme. Don't mess with, it's a total party. Go ahead with your bad self, with your bad self, with your bad self. I ain't the lady to mess with. Stop what you're doing, because it can't hold me. Just give it to me, give it to me. You know, real uh, party, puff out your chest, I'm the best kind of stuff. Um, and, and strange lyrics aside, like, you know, anorexic pockets and yo-yo, let's go, let's go. I'ma play fools like tic-tac-toe. Um, again, a bit silly, but you get the gist of it. You know, don't mess with Victoria. I'm a bad girl. You can't get the best of me. You know, lyrically, it's a big shift, but considering there is this big change in character to Victoria becoming a more fan-friendly, commercially friendly, upbeat character, then it does make sense to go along that route, Sean. Oh, it does. And I mean, again, I mean, part of my disappointment is the fact that I loved the early Victoria character. That was, that is one of my favorite depictions that has happened that they've done in that company in a long time i thought that was it just connected so well for for me that to see her turn into what she turned into there in that brief kind of run where yeah she was happy-go-lucky gyrating moonsault sort of bland party person it, it definitely felt like a step down i think something that struck me with this is and i've i've, I've looked at a lot of wrestling themes over the years this might be the longest lyric sheet of any wrestling theme that i've ever seen it goes on and on well you know why it's the same two verses repeated it is true true but still it's it's funny because you think of wrestling themes and the ones that really stick out tend to be the less wordy of them yet there's a lot of wordiness in some of the themes of this era which it's actually something I want that that's going to come up for me when we talk about one of our future ones is the way that some of these themes and presentation between the actual song and the the way it's presented on screen are are very different. So yeah, you have to remember like these are albums. Yeah, and you're trying to fill album time, and just having a 90 second song isn't going to cut it for most people. Um, My band, the Bossy Saxophones, plays nothing but 90-second songs. <laughs> well, uh, that's your choice then, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but um, uh, but uh, I, I do want to bring this up. Uh, in 2005, uh, Victoria turns heel again, and she doesn't go back to using the tattoo song. She just uses, like, a remixed version of this song. I ain't the lady to mess with. Woo! Go, 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 go. I'm a go with my best self, with my best self, with my best self. Uh-huh. I ain't the lady to mess with. Y'all gon' pay the price too. Stop it with your anorexic pocket. Give me the microphone and make me show them off here. This, I got the keys to the game like a locksmith. Where the song is slowed down. And Jim Johnston put some metal guitar riffs in there because, of course, he did. Uh, <laughs> and, and luckily, the lyrics are such where it works either as a face or a heel theme. So, in a perfect world, uh, we could have gotten you know the tattoo song back. But by that point, Victoria was doing the whole Vince's Devil's stable with Tori and Candice Michelle, so it wouldn't have worked anyway, unfortunately. No, no. Okay. Totally unrelated to the song, though. Can I just say that Victoria is literally one of the nicest people I've ever met? Not just in wrestling, but just in general. 
Yeah, I've heard that because she used to have that restaurant in Chicago. Yeah, she so. she had the restaurant, and I frequented it a lot when it opened up. And I mean, she she definitely became very familiar with myself, my wife, some of our friends, to the point where it's like we saw we'd see her out in public at places that were not the restaurant, and we'd end up talking to her for 20, 30 minutes just about things. Such a such a nice, friendly person. It's a shame that things didn't work out with that, but. Like I said, unrelated to the music, had to say that. Yeah, she's another person who I've been a big fan of for many years, for sure, for sure. Up next, we're going to go with Gail Kim. Uh, Gail is probably better known for her many years in TNA as the first Knockouts champion, which she held many times over. And uh, really, I think the best and most prolific women's wrestler in that company's history. Um, a TNA Hall of Famer as well, of course. But before all of that, Gail made her name in wrestling in WWE when she debuted in 2003 and won the women's title on her first night in a battle royal. Yes, that happened. Her theme song is by Jim Johnston featuring Dara Schindler. It's also from Thematic, WWE The Music Volume 6. It's called International Woman. I don't know how hot of a take this will be, um, but no joke, I love this song, and it's one of my all-time favorites. I mean, I think this is an underrated gem, and if Gail Kim used it for longer, because she only had it for like the first WWE run, which only lasted like a year and a half or so, it may get more love from people you know, historically. But ever since I first heard this one way back when, I just loved it a lot. You know, the, the moody, emotional vocals, I got something in my heart something in my soul it just hits me right in the goosebumps you know and that that choir uh, you know me sean i'm a sucker for a good angelic choir so this this is all right in my wheelhouse this feels like a damn wrestling theme and i mean that in the best possible way i i love this one i if if gail had been if her time in wwe hadn't been so confused and full of issues i think we would remember this as one of the best themes of the decade it feels perfect for wrestling it feels perfect for an entrance you can just listening to it it's very easy to just imagine a montage of gail kim big moves being set to it it it, it feels era appropriate it had a to me it kind of had a bit of an evanescence sort of vibe happening like that sort of metal sound but the the sort of very pretty female voice and like you said the choir that's just like ah <laughs> no this this should this is definitely one of those forgotten classic themes that that WWE put out 
it, it it's perfect for her at the time too. She was very much the fast paced aerial wrestler. And like I said, listening to this, I just could see her flying off of flying off the top rope or jumping onto somebody. It, I think we agree on this actually. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. You know, between the choir, uh, the high pitched vocals early on, how many loves to account? I can see, give me an excuse. I would lead you to me. And the techno keyboards. It's got like this spiritual, artsy, fartsy, techno fusion thing going on. And that's evident in the rest of the lyrics as well. I opened up my eyes when they opened up the door. Set me free and I will fight for more. You know, uh, anorexic pockets, this is not. (laughs) But if you look back at Gail Kim's first gimmick, she was basically doing like this Matrix knockoff with the leather duster and the sunglasses. And her, her Titantron was all like these weird Matrix glyphs and phrases like control your reality, control your world. And if the Matrix isn't like peak spiritual artsy fartsy techno fusion bullshit sean then i don't know what is that yeah and this would have been more around the time of matrix revolutions and matrix reloaded when it all just went off the rails but yeah the lyrics to this are definitely right on the edge of just full-on entire cheese plate sort of cheesiness Give me an excuse, I would lead you to me. Even your heart for the thing's agony. I might have to chase you if shall never free. Odd structuring aside there, that should make me just cringe, but in the song it works. And it's one of those things where I don't know why it works so well for me, but it does. Everything pieces together perfectly. And like I said, it just sounds half of these songs I know are entrance themes because I've heard them as entrance themes. But if I'd heard them out of that context for the first time, I would have never thought to myself, oh, this would be a good entrance theme. This, if I heard it out of context, I'd be like, holy shit, somebody start walking to the ring to this right now. And that's that's really out of all of these. There's only one other one that really catches me this way. And we've yet to get to that one. Yeah, this is definitely one that I just listen to on its own a lot. You know, I'll put it on my iTunes and listen to it and just enjoy it, you know? Yeah, I'd forgotten about it, but it's going to be jumping onto my playlist now because, yeah, first time I heard it again, I was like, wow, this is this is really, really good. Mm. I, I tried to look up Dara Schindler to see if there's any you know info about her. Um, I couldn't find anything, really. Uh, the only other song that is available that she did is a song called Far Away, which was used on Smallville, and it was used in the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, and one of the Final Destination movies as well. Um, but besides all that, there is nothing else about Dara Schindler that I could find. So, um, you know, Dara, if you're out there, and you're listening, you know, please come forward, I guess. <laughs> Members one and two of your fan club are right here waiting to hear yeah. from you. <laughs> um, I, I do have a couple of gripes with this song. Uh, number one is the title international woman uh it's not as generic as molly holly but it's pretty damn close you know it could be a little bit more creative there with the title there jim um but um the other gripe that i have is that when gail kim went back to wwe in 09 for the second run she didn't use this song again Uh, instead she used a song called strong and sexy (laughs) 
which is nowhere near as good as this one because it's got like you know cute laughter and record scratches in there it's it's a lot more forgettable and generic than this one is in all aspects really when you think about that international woman sounds like a hell of a good title in <laughs> strong and sexy <laughs> wow I'm angry just thinking about that now. <laughs> Why are you so awful, Vince McMahon? <laughs> Moving on now to the second-to-last song here, and uh, if Trish is considered to be the most prominent female wrestler of this era, then this woman is not far behind. Uh, in fact, they've been linked together since Trish's debut, pretty much. This is Amy Dumas, a.k.a. Lita, and uh, Lita's theme is by a band called Boy Hits Car. This is from WWF Forcible Entry. It's called... Love, fury, passion, energy. And that's one word, folks. say, Sean, that one of the recurring motifs of this episode, uh, for the most part, is that the songs here fit the wrestlers that they belong to um, in terms of music, in terms of lyrics. So Jim Johnston did a very good job of crafting these songs to the wrestler, as he usually did. And the same is true for Lita's song here. You know, Jim Johnston made the song with Boy It's Car. And if you're going to do a song for Lita, who is the punk rocker, the fearless kind of, you know, tomboyish badass with the tattoos and the fishnets and whatnot, who isn't 100% a bad girl, at least at this point in time, in 02 and 03, but she's not 100% the squeaky clean girl either, you know. This is the kind of sound you want to go for here, this aggressive punk metal song that can also be pretty melodic. And it has a hell of an opening hook. I mean, the song it, the, the song itself is one that I actually do really enjoy, and I've had it on my playlists over the years, but that opening hook that sort of middle eastern sounding north african maybe sounding it it's so unique especially in a sea of jim johnston guitars that the second you hear it boom you knew it was lita coming out there wasn't a oh, whose song is it who's oh yeah 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 it was it just hit right away that yep this is someone who's different. This is a song that's different. I this is one of this is one of the entrance themes that I think was just perfect for the person who had it at that time. And man, they used a lot of dirty words in that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they certainly did. They certainly did. And, and again, similar to Trish, 
there is that duality in there with Lita's theme. You know, like I said, musically it does get very intense in the choruses with the big chugging metal riffs, but in the verses you've got these bongos, you know, you've got like a sitar in there, I think. It is a lot more melodic and lighter in tone, similar to the lyrics, you know, because in the verses there's a lot of like heady metaphorical gobbledygook, you know. So go paint your face and proclaim thy warrior soul, because life is a brutal fight until we show a shade of timelessness, for we are all distinct, and a waiting hour, transcendental release. And then the chorus just turns everything up to 11 and screams in your face, So fuck your rules, man! So fuck your rules, man! You step up, you'll go down fast. I've got to release all the shit that has made up my past. Censored, of course, but still just the bluntness and the heaviness of it all is such a sharp contrast with what came before it just just barely censored i will say when you listen to it it's it's really a so ah, your rules man <laughs> like you you, you you know what he's saying there they don't really do a lot to hide it but yeah it definitely that that soft fast soft fast energy and the i mean especially for amy dumas who's kind of at that point playing a sort of punk yeah there's also that sort of weird hippie chick sort of vibe happening the that she seems like the type who might be living off the grid or something kind of an art student vibe at the same time it's all she's like a lost flower growing out through a crack in the bustling sidewalk moving like a river so sad it works for all the aspects of that character Especially at that point in time, I mean, she'd kind of begun to develop more of a character than just girl who moonsaults while wearing while wearing pants that show off her thong. And we were now getting into the whole Matt Hardy romance angle and everything. So she was becoming more humanized and more than just sort of the Hardy Boys mascot. And to have that music at that time I thought was a really really good choice and it's catchy as fuck that chorus you listen to that and if you're walking you just kind of start bouncing a little more when you're walking <laughs> yeah it does show an evolution of sorts with the Lita character um, especially if you look at the song that she used before this called It Just Feels Right and it's basically just this like gritty gloomy metal instrumental and the only lyrics there are this disembodied voice going, I don't know what it is, but it just feels right. And that was the whole song. And I suppose it kind of plays up Lita as this kind of, you know, mysterious, enigmatic woman of sorts. But I much prefer this one because, like you said, Sean, it is a lot catchier and a lot more memorable. And it does humanize her in a lot of ways and gets more in tune with her personality in both wrestling and in real life. Because she is a big fan of this kind of music. Um, in real life. I mean, she had her own punk rock band, for God's sake. So this is definitely a step in the right direction as far as lead of themes go, I think. It's it's also interesting to me that the the song itself, the way it gets uh, sort of transposed when you're when they do the entrance, because it, at the time, it's like they would do the, the beginning, the and then it would jump right into the chorus, the go fuck your rules, and then after it hit the chorus, then it would get into the more twangy, less intense verses verses of the song. So it's just kind of just kind of interesting to me how it 
it, it works in two separate ways and it works equally well both ways. As an entrance, it kind of makes more sense to go right into that really good, fast, boom, 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 boom. But if you're going to put it on an album and associate it with this character, having it be more of a normal song structure allows it to speak more to that character's growth. So it's interesting because some of these, some of these, it's hard to imagine it. Like, like I said, some of these sound like entrance themes, some don't. This on its first listening doesn't really sound like an interesting, but they're able to turn it into one just by moving the pieces around. Well, bringing up the entrance, um, I've talked about the old Titantron videos a few times already and that lost art. What do you see when those first chords hit in this song? You see that cool shot of Lita's eyes in the different colored skies, you know, sort of playing off that whole transcendental hippie, you know, kind of stuff. Again, hearkening back to a time when WWE actually gave a shit about their video presentation and all that stuff. And they didn't just put up a name and a logo. They actually put some effort into it, you know? Man, this is back when it was art, man. (laughs) Yeah, those were were the days, folks. You know, uh, those were the days. (laughs) (laughs) Boil the way Jim Johnston played. (laughs) (laughs) You dingbat. (laughs) Ah, oh, jeez, Edith, I'm, I'm trying to watch Candace Michelle on my TV here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right, the last song of the episode here, and it's another Hall of Famer, a WWE Hall of Famer, currently one of the commentators on NXT TV every week, uh, last seen getting an RKO from Randy Orton on Monday Night Raw, and, uh, oh, yeah, she's also a very prolific wrestler in her own right. It's the Glamazon Beth Phoenix, a multi-time women's champion and still a semi-occasional wrestler. Her theme is from WWE The Music Volume 8. This is called Glamazon. This one is similar to the Gail Kim theme. It just hits the spot for me, you know, with the keyboard. I love that tone. It's got like kind of a, a warm, like, I don't know, hot pink aura to it when I close my eyes. That's what I see, if that makes sense. Um, the faint vocal choir in the background, which again, I love me some choirs. Uh, the chugga chugga guitar. It, it's a rather simple song, but it's still a very good song, I think, because it gets across the whole Glamazon character really well, Sean. It does. I, The thing that I, I noted on this was it had a very 80s theme music vibe to me in a good way. It, it, it felt like it could have very easily been for someone coming out of the tunnel at WrestleMania, WrestleMania 3. 
but I like it because it's it is simple like that. It's not trying to do a ton. It's not trying to 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 appeal to eight different audiences and have a pop hit at the same time. It's like here's an entrance theme. The one thing that I found is funny with it is it's got an almost very heroic, very I, I don't want to say the word Olympian, but kind of that like vibe to it. Yet Beth was still, if I recall correctly, still very much a heel at that point. Um yeah, I mean for the most part she was, yeah. I mean she was a heel and she was still a scary heel kind of and it, it, it's funny because I feel like this song is actually is a little later than the other ones we talked about, and you can begin to see WWE really trying to figure out how to have it things both ways with their female competitors, especially the ones who are more legitimate, like Beth Phoenix and people like that, where it's she's still a scary heel and she's still going to do wacky angles with Santino Morella that play on the fact that oh she's big girl. But at the same time, they're also trying to sort of push the, hey, look, this is a really talented athlete. Hey, this is somebody who's worth watching. This is someone who's not just here to be eye candy. And I think the song kind of falls into that, where they could have gone with a very generic heel-sounding, slower, dun-dun-dun-dun sort of thing. But... Her theme music's very inspiring sounding. Yeah, it is a rather straightforward song, um, a la Molly Holly. But with Molly, the point was that she was very plain and boring and prudish. The Glamazon thing uh, was that Beth, you know, is this dominating performer in the ring. And you have that here with a guitar in the mix. But at the same time, she still had a sense of, of glamour and beauty to her. You know, she had the tiara and all that stuff. And that's represented, I think, with the pretty keyboards and the choir. So the song is trying to play both sides where it's a very nice sounding song, but there's also that undercurrent of power and momentum in there too, Sean. Yeah, and it fits because Beth Phoenix really was kind of in that gateway period where the first generation of kind of serious WWE women, the Trishes, the Litas, were beginning to fade from the scene somewhat. Or in cases of like Victoria, Gail Kim, they'd moved off to TNA. We weren't quite to where people were watching the NXT shows to to see the, the women tearing it up down there. That was still just a couple of years away, which is kind of crazy to think about. So yeah, Beth's music being that sort of positive, like you said, a pink aura to it, pretty and like I said, like inspiring and very much not something that you hear and your instant thought is boo her boo that woman so I mean it's it's definitely in that that weird interregnum where they were still trying to sort their way through and where people were trying to figure out if there was anything to this or if we should just go back to Braun Panny's matches at all times hmm. I, I will note that when Beth debuted uh, she used a slightly different version of this song that was just released a little while ago called the Glamazon Championship Remix.
which sounds very similar to this one, uh, but there are a few key changes in there, like uh, a more prominent choir and, and cymbals. Um, a little weird that they gave it the name Championship Remix, considering that when Beth debuted, she wasn't actually a champion yet. That's a bit odd, I think, but uh, regardless, I just wanted to bring that up, Sean. Yeah, it's very strange that the earlier version is the Championship Remix. I, I feel like someone was asleep at the Switch on that one. Well, Beth's debut itself was a bit of a mess because... Uh, you know, she was brought in originally to be like a foil to Mickey James back when Mickey was still doing that, you know, stalker, obsessive character. And she debuted in, I believe, like May of 06. And about a month into it, she broke her jaw and they wrote her off of TV. And her jaw healed after a few months, but they still didn't bring her back to the main roster until like a year later as the Glamazon. So it was a very shaky start for Beth Phoenix. Uh, but of course, as time went on, she won a bunch of titles and became a very big centerpiece of that women's division for many years. You know, she had the, the Divas of Doom tag team as well with Natalia. So everything worked out for the best. Oh, yeah. I mean, she definitely was one of the people who kept that flame going. And, I mean, you could possibly even make an argument that she might get almost overrated in historical context because there was such a sad grouping and sometimes around her but she definitely is one of the more important people and women in wwe in the in this century i mean just what she stood for and the idea of her meant as much i think as anything she actually did i mean hell anyone who busts the back of their head open like that during a royal rumble match and stays in it for like 20 more minutes too they deserve a lot of respect in my book. You know, I mean, I know wrestlers are pretty tough cookies in general, but to gut out a, a hard way head injury like that, I mean, it makes a real trooper in my mind. Yeah, that was that was a hell of a visual and just damn. <laughs> I think that might be my most memorable Beth Phoenix moment that doesn't involve Santino Morella. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was our look at some diva themes during the Ruthless Aggression era, a time in wrestling that... You know, I look back fondly on because it was my youth. Um, maybe not the best time for female representation in wrestling, perhaps, but <laughs> there were some pretty catchy and memorable theme songs to come out of it. So swings and roundabouts, as they say. So, uh, uh, Sean, this was just a, a fun conversation to have with you, and I love having you on the show regardless of topic. Um, I will apologize again for not putting the tattoo song on the list here. And uh, you have my word that... When you're back on the show here again, we will discuss that song in earnest. Very good. Very good. It's 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 really the greatest song ever made. So I'd, I'd, I'd hate for us to miss that opportunity. Thank you for having me on as always, though, Andrew. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sorry that this is probably the last thing any of us will ever do as we're all about to die from the, <laughs> from the coronavirus. But I think this is a fitting legacy for when the aliens come and find our planet a few millennia from now. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But uh, but seriously, it is great to have you on the show again here. And uh, whatever happens in the near future, I'm glad you came on to talk about some wrestling music with me. Always happy to. Always happy to. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, Sean, thank you again for being here. Uh, any plugs you want to give, go right ahead. Not in the slightest. I don't want to talk to anyone and I don't want anyone to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just enjoy voices of wrestling. They're all good people. All right. Well, quick and tidy. Okay, then. <laughs> uh, Music of the Mat is, of course, part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find all the great podcasts on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. 
Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. Check out the VOW Discord at VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. Donate to the show at VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Donate and click on the big Donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you do that, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Sean, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Thank you, sir. All right, for Sean Flynn, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.